Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. This evening, we are up to Isaiah chapters 26 and 27. And as always, it's our tradition, we will be covering these passages or these chapters line upon line. And as I mentioned, this passage that thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, is, I actually thought it came out of Psalms. I, I said, wow, it's here in Isaiah. And the passage or the chapter that we're going to cover uh, this evening actually sounds very much like King David and sounds like a psalm, but it is actually poetry within the book of Isaiah. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the uh, text for this evening. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. We thank you. We rejoice in you, Lord. And we rejoice in your faithfulness and your, your purpose and your counsel. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We also rejoice in your word, Father, this ancient text, thousands of years old. And we can read it and study it, and you put it upon our hearts to eagerly desire it and hunger and thirst for it, so that we can understand what on earth is going on and what you're doing in the earth. We just thank you for this, Father, and we, we take comfort in all of this understanding and pray, God, that you will help us to edify one another, to strengthen support one another, that we might endure to the end. And, uh, Father, we have been pleading your mercy for our sister, Lisa Palmatier. We thank you for her. We thank you for all of her service and contributions and loving kindnesses uh, over the years. And she needs, she needs you now, Father. We were pleading with you. Uh, to be merciful we thank you for the progress and the mercy we've seen thus far and we just pray god that you'll be with her now as she's in this very delicate place and in your hand your mercy is what will bring her through father we we pray for her having powerful testimony at the end of all of this and just pray for your your loving hand and mercy upon her and also her husband and our pastor murray we praise you lord and thank you and ask all of this in jesus name Amen. So, brethren, please uh, keep up your prayers for our sister Lisa. Uh, just let's be vigilant, like the, the widow who just was relentless in, in speaking to the. He finally just gave, you know, said, "Okay, I've got to respond," and then God says He will He will respond likewise as we uh, plead with Him. So we are up to Isaiah chapters twenty six and twenty seven. So let's uh, open up the text and get into the text for this evening. And I just want to pick up two verses from chapters 24 and uh, 25. So you remember in chapter 24 was quite a, a dire chapter, actually. It's, it's good news ultimately, but it was God's hand. And I should have checked that uh, everybody is hearing me clearly. I'm assuming that that is the case. Uh, so maybe just let me know in the chat. Uh, I'm assuming that it's, everything is good. I, I'll, I'll just watch the chat here in case uh, there's a problem. But we saw in chapter 24, as I mentioned, it was quite a dire uh, text. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, uh, Sister Velma, coming through loud and clear. Uh, so it was pretty dark because God was going to shake terribly the earth. And we just saw him unleashing his wrath upon the whole earth. But that is good news because the whole earth is, is, is corrupt and, and given itself over to Satan and to the beast power that is the incarnation of the devil. So he says here in chapter 21 of 24, just so we can recall the, the gist of the chapter, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high 
and the kings of the earth upon the earth. So this is what we know. This is the te ancient text that as these kings of the earth, as these leaders are, are flexing their muscle and coming in this sort of global confederation and um, uh, this, this cohort of, of these kings working together under a, a, a single political power, this globalist power that we're seeing, we know from the text, it won't last long. Man is like a flower that blossoms and then dies. Uh, so, so they're gonna knock themselves out, but we're gonna have comfort knowing God's judgment is just around the corner. Then in chapter 25, we actually saw God's uh, salvation. And we saw God after punishing the earth and saving his people, holding a party, <laughs> a feast for the whole earth. Everybody's invited, everybody that survives is invited to God's party. And the best of everything will be served at this party. And then God will serve the best wine which he will drink with his disciples, which he promised he would do, but he will share it with the whole earth. So then we saw in verse 9 of um, chapter 25, in verse 9, it shall be said in that day. So, so we have to ask ourselves, who's saying this? But somebody is saying this in that day. And, and you know, a kind of casual reading, we'll just assume these are Christians speaking. But no, that's not the case. And, and chapter 26 is going to confirm that it is not Christian saying this, that it is in fact in Judah. He says, and it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. This is our God. This is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is Jehovah. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And many Christians would be surprised to know and to learn that Jesus Christ left heaven, left the Godhead, and came to earth to save Judah and to save Israel. In fact, I had a minister actually say to me once, I've never heard this. This is, this is he didn't say this, but his attitude was to say, this is preposterous. God came to save the whole world. Well, no, when we read the text, yes, he will save the whole world, but he will save the whole world through Israel. And right now, Israel's survival depends on the covenant that he has with Judah. And Israel has to be grafted back in to Judah. So we have to understand that the and and Judah will be saying to the whole world, this Jehovah, and the first fruits of Judah will be teaching Judah these truths so that they can turn to him. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's come into chapter 26 to validate and to confirm that the salvation belongs to Judah and that the identity of those saying, lo, this is our God, is Judah. So if we continue to read the passage, Isaiah 26 and verse 1, and we actually confirm it, but we'll go back over it and continue in the chapter. Verse 1, in that day, meaning the end time, shall this song be sung. Where will this song be sung? This song of victory, this song of salvation, this song of identifying the true God of the earth. Where will it be sung? Who will be singing it? So in that day, just ahead of us now, 
shall this song of victory and salvation be sung. Where? In the land of Judah. This song will be sang in that day in the land of Judah. It's clear. These are Jews singing of their, the salvation that their God has brought them. Here's the song. <clears throat> we have a strong city, that is Jerusalem. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. So God is going to protect his people with salvation. And then they announce this. Open you the gates. Why? Why should we open the gates of Jerusalem? So Jerusalem now has, is, has, is walled. And the Why? That the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. Who is this? Well, yes, the whole world. And those that repent and say, oh, there's a Jew. Let's take hold of his garment and follow him to Jerusalem where we can learn the laws of, of God. They will be welcomed. So the gates will be open that those nations that repent and say, yes, let's go up to Jerusalem and keep the Feast of Tabernacles with the Jews. They, they will. They will, be, they will be welcomed in. And we know this. We know this from Zechariah 14, but we also know it from Revelation. In Revelation 21 and verse 22, John saw this. And John said, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So here's Jerusalem, and this is the temple now uh, in Jerusalem, the Lord and the Lamb. And the city had no need of the sun. So, so this is now going beyond the millennium. So this will be set up for the millennium. There'll be a, a temple and, and people are going to come to Jerusalem. But this is beyond now, after the millennium. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. So it's not that there's no need for the sun or the moon, period. The sun and the moon will still function. They're just not necessary in Jerusalem because God is there and Jesus Christ is there. So there's no, and, and their glory is so full of splendor that the, the sun and the moon, they're, they're, they have no purpose. There's no night. And the sun is like a little flashlight. Uh, it just, it, it, ha it has no purpose in Jerusalem. But outside of Jerusalem, the sun and the moon still have purpose. And in fact, it, it, they are needed so people know when to come to Jerusalem to worship. So the city had no need that the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten the city, and the Lamb is the light thereof of the city. And the nations of them which are saved. So yes, God is coming to save the whole earth. But the salvation of Gentiles is not the same as the salvation of Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel, I, I didn't write the Bible. And I didn't choose Judah and Israel. God did. And they are an exalted and exclusive nation that right now, in this dispensation, Gentiles are being offered the opportunity to be grafted in and become the first fruits of Israel because Israel has hardened their heart and Judah has hardened its heart. 
So God in his mystery and in his wisdom is using this as an opportunity to be merciful to Gentiles and allow us to be grafted in and to become spiritual Jews. But in my reading of the text, and I'm, I'm open to be persuaded otherwise, but right now in my reading of the text, when this dispensation is over and, the, and, and Christ returns, and as he returns, Judah, the abomination that makes desolate, uh, opens Judah's eyes and their heart and their ears so that they can be brought back into communion with God. And Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, also brought into communion with God as, as God makes Judah and Israel one. That when Judah and Israel are now repentant and working in alignment with God, the atonement of Judah and Israel, the, the Gentiles are no longer needed to be in this priest class. So once Christ returns, Gentiles are Gentiles. And here we are, even after a thousand years, I'm reading the text. I didn't write the text. I'm just reading it. Even after a thousand years on into eternity, the Gentiles, the Gentile nations, which are saved, shall walk in the light of Jerusalem. But they are Gentile nations, and they're going to come to Jerusalem, and they're going to enter into one of the 12 tribes, uh, one of the 12 gates that are named after the tribes of Israel. So they'll have their gate, they'll have their tribe, their priest class that is looking after them, but they are Gentiles. They are nations, they are Gentiles, they are goyim of them which are saved. So they are saved. The whole world is saved now. They'll walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So God says he will be glorified in Israel. And that's just not, you know, through the millennium, if reading Revelation, on into eternity. So the kings of the earth are bringing their glory. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. So there's, there's no harm now. There's no risk to God's priest class. And, and the nations can come at any time and worship and enter these gates. So this is what Isaiah sees as well. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So all the wealth of these nations, they can't wait to come to Jerusalem and present their offerings through the tribe that they've been assigned to. Because all the Gentile nations have been assigned according to the sons of Israel. And we see that in the Torah. Then he says, <clears throat> and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes but in the Lamb's book of life. So that able to enter into Jerusalem because they are really they have accepted the salvation that is available in Israel. But they're still Gentiles, even though they're saved. That's what the text is saying. So happy to different interpretations, but let's read the text and interpret the text is saying. To Isaiah 26, verse 3. And this is this very, very familiar passage. In fact, this passage is a great 
gravestone, I immediately assumed this came from Psalms when I found it in Isaiah. Isaiah is a very, very poetic book, and if we knew the Hebrew fully, we would appreciate the poetry even more. But the King James, uh, as far as English translations go, it's the most accurate and most poetic. And here he says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And my, my father-in-law was just always thinking about God, always praying, always studying. His mind really was stayed on the Lord. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Now, does this apply to Christians? Absolutely. We are the first fruits of Judah, the first fruits of are definitely included in this and we know that great great peace have they who love thy law nothing shall offend them so so the mature christian this this uh rises above the natural human that affects the natural human they don't affect the spiritual jew because our mind is stayed on christ and we understand the big picture and we understand how rapidly everything on this level is passing away. But in context, as we study the text line by line, in context, this is speaking about the Jew. This is speaking about the Jew who repents, who the first fruits of, of Judah, of Israel, have been preaching the gospel to the whole world, but specifically to Judah and have been bringing comfort to Judah with this knowledge of the scripture to say, Judah, your God reigns, and Judah, be comforted in the truth of your covenant relationship with God. No, God has not turned his back on you. All those that are saying that you are God forsaken, they are liars. You are not God forsaken. God is in covenant with you, and it's impossible for him to break his word. So somebody is preaching that to Judah, preaching the true gospel. And whoever that is, is being hated and persecuted by all nations, including Judah, for his namesake, because we understand his name. Because of this preaching of the true gospel, those Jews that get it, that wake up, that the abomination of desolation leads them to realize that there is no hope in anybody or anything, that everyone has turned their back on them, except Christ. In fact, uh, my wife just shared with me a, a news story with Ben and Jerry's ice cream that they've turned their back on Judah and they will not, they, they're going to close their stores in the occupied territory uh, because they cannot support Israel, the nation of Israel that is the tribe of Judah, the Jews. Uh, so they're siding with the Palestinians. This is a sign of things to come. The whole world is going to fall into this trap and this snare of persecuting Judah. And with it, the curse that comes from anybody who curses the sons of Abraham. So the Jew now that repents, that understands the gospel, that embraces God, despite all reading about here in Isaiah, will have perfect peace because their mind will be stayed on Jehovah and they will trust in him and in his word. It's, it's all written here. 
trust you in Jehovah forever, in his whole name, Jesus means God saves. Isaiah means God saves. It's, it's all here in the text. Trust in him. And this is the good, this is the, this is the gospel. This is the good news that, that we serve a God who it's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to break his covenant. That's the good, that's the root of the good news. That is the gospel. And anybody who's preaching a gospel and doesn't come down, that the, their gospel message isn't rooted in the identity of Jehovah and in his character, that it's impossible for him to lie, it's impossible for him to break his covenant, then this is either a false gospel or an insufficient or incomplete gospel. The true gospel is rooted right here in this verse. No matter what happens, we have good news. You can trust in Jehovah forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And, and it's a specific God. It's not, oh, trust in God or trust in the Lord. No, we're talking about Jehovah. And by all nations for his name's sake, that we understand his name is Jehovah. We understand what that means. His name is Yeshua. And we understand what that means. And that's what we preach without apology. And, and it, it drives Satan and his puppets crazy because they want to abolish, they want to destroy this knowledge. We won't allow it. You can destroy us, but you can never destroy the scripture. The scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be destroyed. This truth, it just gets amplified and amplified and it's like a relay race. We do our part. And if we, if we die before the Lord returns, we pass the baton onto someone else. And, and people who we would never have any idea, we would never even imagine them, they will spring up and they will preach the gospel. Even if rocks and donkeys have to preach it, and ultimately the angel of the Lord will preach it to the whole world. But it cannot be pressing the truth of God. So I have to look at myself when I came into this. I knew nothing about Christ, knew nothing about Christianity except the most superficial understanding. Today, praise God, I have brethren from all over the world who tune in to hear the gospel. Who would have thought? Who would have even imagined this? Adrian? I'm sure if people ever hear that knew me in my past, ever hear that, oh yeah, Adrian's a minister of God and he, he does a weekly Bible study, reaches people around the world, they would just burst into laughter. Adrian? Christ? I was antichrist. I was religious, I was spiritual, but I was antichrist until God had to knock me down and show me Christ. So who knows who will be preaching the gospel in the future? All we know is it can suppress a human. You can kill a human. You can't kill the truth. So the Jews come to this understanding that God will preserve them as long as they are keeping their mind on him. Trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord, Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now, in the midst of all of this, we already saw in Isaiah 8, verse 17, all of this, he's an example of trusting in the Lord. So he's not saying, hey, do as I say, not as I do. He's saying, do as I do. Isaiah, I will wait upon Jehovah. That hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Understood. 
despite all this calamity, despite this tribulation, this, this suffering that is unprecedented, that is going to come upon the head of Jacob. And God is not going to provide relief initially. In spite of all of that understanding that, that Isaiah had, he still said, I'm going to wait upon the Lord. Even though he's hiding his face from the house of Jacob, I understand the covenant. His faithfulness. He has to do this in order to be covenant. But he also has to save Judah and Israel in order to be faithful to the covenant and to the, the, the fathers, the patriarchs. So, so Isaiah is saying right here, I'm waiting upon the Lord. Now, back to Isaiah 26. So, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, despite the calamity, despite armies surrounding despite the, the um, devastation. There are going to be Jews who finally get it and who will worship Christ and love him and wait for him with Isaiah, the same, the same attitude that Isaiah had. The reason the Lord is strength for in him and you can have peace is because he will preserve you. How will he preserve you? Continue the story. For he brings down them that dwell on high. This is what we saw in Isaiah 25, that these great kings, these mighty kings, these powers are going to be brought down. So despite the fact that the Jew is going to be intensely, mercilessly persecuted, going to step in, bring down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, and this I believe is Babylon, he lays it low. He lays it low, even to the ground. He's going to knock it down. This, these powerful, mighty people that are setting up these palaces and, and these places of worship, and they're going to be so grand and spectacular. God is going to level, level it all, even to the ground. He brings it even to the dust. This is why those who have understanding, who understand the gospel, why they can be kept in perfect peace. Because they have the whole story. Everyone else is panicking. And in fact, so I've been focusing right now on Judah, but Israel is under this curse. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. And so these Israelite nations, taken for granted of having hegemony, having, having power in the earth, say in the as corrupt as they are uh their root is in the christian principles and the value of the human being made in the image of god and they've had a lot of influence in the earth in the past few hundred years maybe even the past few couple of thousand years um we don't understand a world where the nations of israel the descendants of israel have no say glimpses of it. We, we had to get rid of Donald Trump. We just we couldn't stand his tweets. His tweets were driving us crazy, even though we saw the greatest economy the world has ever seen. Even though people were more free than they had been previously under the previous administration, we just had to get rid of him. We couldn't take his tweets. And, and the, the contention between him and the media was just horrible. Uh, the media just really convinced us he was, he was the son of Satan. So we got rid of him. Now we really do have a child of Satan or the administration of Satan that is doing everything it can. There's not a single decision that this administration has made that has strengthened America. Not a single Every decision is about enervating 
America, about bringing America down. And as America collapses, which is part of this, the, the real purpose of destroying America and the real purpose of, of uh, um, white privilege doctrine is to remove Christianity, to remove the influence of Christianity. That's the agenda. And as that influence of Christianity is removed, society as we have known it will be transformed into something completely evil, the, the likes of which will send people insane. The, the, the evil that we will see perpetrated on human beings, especially children, it's going to drive normal human beings insane or most human beings to become corrupt like the devil. This is, this is, this is you know, when, when we read uh, lawlessness will, will abound, we don't really know what that means, but we will see it. And it's going to be beyond the pale. So it's, it's frightening time in, in the near future. Happening all around us. We, everybody has a sense, wow, the world is crazy. It's, it's the economy is collapsing. Everything is changing. Everything is being, we kind of get it now. And, and at the same time though, there's peace between the media and the administration. And not just peace, collusion. So we can have peace. There isn't this contention anymore. So no more terrible tweets, no more hostility between the media and the administration, everywhere. This is the world we have to live in. So it's not just the Jew, all the nations of Israel are going to suffer incredible, incredible pain and anguish. In all of this, the Christian, the spiritual Jew, the first fruits of Israel, whatever happens, we have the big picture. And this is why we can, we can roll with the bad news. Yeah, it's pretty scary. But if I was just a natural human being, I'd have to turn off the news. I would have to just turn up the entertainment, get the best quality entertainment I can, maybe uh, get drunk and get onto drugs and just completely get into a world of escape because I couldn't cope with the way the world is going. But because we have the whole story and because we can continue to get more texture and color and high definition of the story, we, we have increasing peace and increasing trust in Jehovah. Knowing this, that as powerful as these people become, they're going to be brought down. For he, this is why we can have this trust, because he brings down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low, and everybody that was depending on it, everybody that bought into its agenda, he lays it low even to the ground. He brings it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. And again, I keep saying this, the poor here are not necessarily the poor today. People who are poor today, who decide to receive the mark of the beast in the future economy, they may grow fabulously wealthy. So they're not included in this. And people who are wealthy today, who refuse to take the mark of the beast and to participate in the future economy, they may be impoverished. In fact, they will be impoverished. So the poor at this time 
those who no matter what, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, O King, we will trust in Jehovah. When Christ returns, he's going to empower these people to tread down Babylon and to tread down all its systems and all its leaders. So the foot shall tread it down, which is the lowest part of the poor, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. The way of the just is not social justice, which is warped and is not based on the law of God. It is uprightness. When, when lawlessness abounds and wicked men are held up as heroes, the just are saying, no, Torah. We will be Torah compliant. This is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh the path of the just. So he's studying us, first fruits of Judah, as well as Judah themselves as they repent and become first fruits, or at least are in a state of physical, they're physical, but they've repented. They haven't maybe got to the point of baptism. God is weighing the path of the just, the true just, not, not the socially just, not the imbeciles, the spiritual fools, the spiritual idiots who fall into Marxism. He's not weighing their path. He's weighing the path of the just, the Torah compliant. Yeah, in the way of your judgments, O Yehovah, have we waited for thee. We, we didn't get caught up in Marxism. We didn't get caught up in social justice. We didn't get caught up in pretty rhetoric that these politicians and these community organizers and these Marxists, beautiful rhetoric, we didn't get caught up in that. We stuck to Torah. And we said, we want to see Torah in the land. Yes, in the way of your judgments, which come from Torah, oh Lord, have we waited for, this is how we waited for you. We said, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to run that direction. I'm not going to support that. I'm just going to stay right here in Torah. In the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited. This is how we waited for you. The desire of our soul is to thy name, Yehovah, Yeshua. This is the desire of our soul, the salvation of God. And to the remembrance of the with my soul, and again, this just sounds so uh, Davidic, and this sounds like a Psalms of David. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. So we wake up in the middle of the night, our mind immediately goes to Jehovah. We wake up in the middle of the night, we want to know more. Maybe, hey, I can't sleep. Let me, let me read a passage of scripture. This is the inclination of our hearts. With my soul, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yes, and this is again, um, we just realize how wicked this earth is. We realize how God-forsaken it is. We realize that there's no saving this world. And so we turn to Jehovah wholeheartedly. We hate our lives in this world. We do our best. We want to lead quiet lives. We want to enjoy our, uh, enjoy our spouses, enjoy our families, our children, our parents, our, our siblings. We want to enjoy as much as we can. But we realize this world is God-forsaken. And we turn our whole heart to the Lord. And with, with our whole soul, we're wholeheartedly here, desiring him even in the night when we wake up. Yes, within me will I seek thee early. So as soon as we wake up, our mind is on God. 
for when thy judgments, th this is what we look for. We're not spiritual idiots. We're not spiritual imbeciles. We're not easily hoodwinked and we're not arrogant. The easily hoodwinked are arrogant. They want to flare up and shout and, and, and defend nonsense because we understand the ways of God. We just, you know what? I hope it works out for you. We'll pray for you. The path you've chosen is evil. And you cannot, you cannot come before God. We're going to pray and hope that you repent. But in the meantime, how would he do? And we'll just keep our distance and pray for you. For when God's judgments are in the earth, there's nothing here about social justice. There's nothing here about, oh, you know, if we just give the government more power, they'll take care of everything. They'll evenly distribute the wealth so that everybody will be looked after and there'll be no more poor and there'll be no more rich. And, uh, you know, everybody will be equally miserable and everybody will be equally destroyed. That's where the social justice agenda is going. So we're not hoodwinked by that. What we want is the judgments of Torah, the judgments of God in the earth. That's what we're looking And you won't hear that from the politicians. You won't hear that from the community organizers. You won't hear that from the social justice warriors. They hate God. And we know they hate God because they hate the family. They're out to destroy the family. And the minute we say, hey, these people want to destroy the family, any Christian with any, any, any you know, sense, any you know, minimum amount of sense, the, 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 like, the, the, the lowest spiritual IQ, the minute we say, hey, they want to destroy the family, oh, okay, I'm out of that. that. That's evil. That's of the devil. But we say, no, they want to destroy the family. Yeah, well, at least they're fighting for my race. So I don't care if they want to destroy the family. I'm happy to uh, collude with the devil as long as they support my race. Okay. I, I, I hope it works out. I, from, from, text, from the text. But let's see. In fact, I'm hoping you'll repent and you'll wake up. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. That's when we'll see this. That's what we're looking for. So, so again, any, any Christian with even a modicum of common sense or a modicum of, of spiritual IQ, like a, a little bit of reading of the text is not going to fall for these people. So any Christian that you see falling for this doesn't have any sense, isn't studying scripture. Verse 10. Let's go back over verse 9. When God's judgments are in the earth, that's when the inhabitants of the, of the world will learn righteousness. This whole social justice nonsense is not righteousness. Only see righteousness in the earth when God's judgments are in the earth. This is the just that we're looking for. Not racial justice, social justice, family justice, all these different justices. Anytime we're putting an adjective in front of it, it, there's an agenda. We just want justice, which can only come from God. When that justice is in the earth, that's when they'll learn righteousness. Now, why would we support evil men? Why would we hold up evil men as heroes? This is a recipe for disaster. When you put down the righteous and you uphold the wicked, 
you are setting yourselves up for unprecedented disaster. And so this is what we've done. And so when we take a George Floyd and we say, this is our hero, let's have a day in honor, let's honor this man with a, a day of worship. Let's make statues of him. Let's make murals of him. Let's promote him as the high standard. And let's all, hey, let's find our voice in George Floyd. This is wickedness and shame on every Christian that has worshiped and supported George Floyd and shame on the ministers who have not corrected their congregants to say we can have nothing to do with this. Because here's George Floyd, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. If his heart is bent toward evil and you're not gonna teach him righteousness, even if you do show him righteousness, if he's given himself to the devil, he doesn't care, he doesn't want this. So you're gonna hold him up as a, 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 a hero? If he had survived, would he turn to the Lord? To be seen. But the heart of man is desperately wicked. And so the scripture is saying, if you show them favor, social justice, we need to show these people favor. Okay, let's show them favor. What's happening in our schools now? As we show them favor, as we give them authority, as we give them honor and high standing, and they take positions of office, of, of power, what's happening to our society? What's happening to our children? So let favor be showed to the wicked. Let them have positions of authority. Yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly. And that's what we are seeing. And that's why spiritual idiots should not support this social justice movement. And I'm saying it might sound harsh, but I'm saying it. I hope some of you are listening. I know most of the people who follow the Bible study, we're, we're following the scriptures. But we have a few who tune in that just tune in out of curiosity. If they are listening, I'm pleading with you, read this text and get out of the darkness that you're involved in. And if any ministers are listening to me and you have congregants who are involved and steeped in this darkness, point them to these scriptures and help them to get out of this wickedness. So we can't be fighting for social justice for wicked people because let justice or, or let favor be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In fact, in the land of uprightness, he will still deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of Jehovah. So this text right here is enough. We don't need any more text to know. We can't support Marxist wickedness and we can't be showing favor to the wicked. We need them to repent just like everybody else. He says, Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. They just don't care. They, they, they are set to do evil, but they shall see. They shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Who are the people? The people of God. So this whole uh, Black Lives Matter, and I warned about this, what, 18 months ago, be careful. The ultimate destination of Black Lives Matter is anti-Semitism. The ultimate destination of Black Lives Matter is pro-Palestinian, anti-Semitic. That's where this is heading. And if you take that path, you will be cursed. So, and, and this whole um, 
social justice is really envy. It's, it's covetousness. So they will be ashamed for their covetousness. That they're looking at rich people or they, who they think are. Some people you think they're rich, they're just up to their eyeballs in debt. But they're looking at people who have things that they don't have. And the Marxists are stimulating envy. Hey, they shouldn't have that. That's white privilege. You, can, you need to take that down. That's all just envy. Why can't you, as a Christian, just say, hey, God bless them. They have what they have. I have God. And God will give me what's sufficient for me. And if I can handle it, he'll bless me with what I can handle. And if I can't handle it, he's not going to give that to me. He's my father. He's going to look after me. So I don't have to envy people who have more than me. I'm glad they have more. Somebody has to have it. I'm, I'm looking for eternal wealth in God. I'm looking for the true riches. I'm not going to be looking at what people have physically and envy them. But they're going to be ashamed for this Marxist ideology. And, and all of this wickedness in the end time is going to be centered at the fact that there are people who have a covenant with God and they're despised for that. And they're going to be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. So everything that they have, that they're turning against the people of God, it's going to backfire and it's going to destroy them. They, they will destroy themselves with it. Lord, you will ordain peace for us. Who's us? Judah. Jehovah will ordain peace for Judah. For you also have wrought in us. So God has decided that he will be glorified in Judah and in Israel more broadly. And this role of being the priest class of the earth, the privileged class, of the earth has been ordained by God. And so he's going to ordain peace with this function that he has chosen for this people. In, in, in this again, just sounds so uh, Davidic. Uh, so in the Psalms 29, uh, speaking of this peace, the psalmist writes, Yehovah will give strength unto his people. We see this in Zechariah 12, that God will do this. He will give strength unto his people. Yehovah will bless his people with peace. When we read this sentiment in the context of the Psalms, where so much suffering, so much lamentation, and then we keep seeing verses like this, that God will give his And then we see in Isaiah, again, this very poetic passage that we're reading, that God is going to give his people peace. But we're reading this very beautiful passage in the context of everything that we've covered so far, which is calamity upon calamity, disaster, Judah's enemies rising up and destroying her, uh, whether it's Assyria or Babylon or even the Ephraim themselves, uh, just complete destruction upon Judah. And then we read a passage like this, Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you also have wrought all our works in us. This is, this is your, your, your counsel. This is your plan. This is our destiny according to your plan. So you've ordained peace for us. Verse 13. O Lord, Jehovah, our God, you are for us. So the, the nations are worshiping who knows what. Ultimately, they're worshiping the devil. But you, Jehovah, you are our God. 
Jehovah is the God of Judah. Other lords beside, now Judah has got to admit and acknowledge and confess, other lords besides you have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. So again, they have been brought into this insight. They've been brought into this understanding. Somebody has been preaching the true gospel to them. Depart from their folly. They can depart from their idolatry and they can come into Christ and realize that only by God can they have this peace and they can acknowledge their true God by making mention of his true name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. This is the ultimate destiny of the wicked. And this is why the righteous, we're just going to wait for God. You know, those in the covenant that do not repent, ultimately Malachi says, they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet to the righteous. That is disaster. We don't want to see that, but this is the reality. Not everybody in the covenant will be successful. And those who don't repent, those who don't separate themselves from the world and give themselves truly to God, they will be burned up and will not live. This is, this is really the, the, the lake of fire. This is it. So Isaiah's fast forwarding. Isaiah saw end to end. He goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way forward into Revelation and sees the whole story. And so now these wicked, Gentile as well as Jew, that do not turn to God, that want to have their own form of justice and righteousness, that will not turn to God, they're dead and they shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. So uh, Isaiah understands the resurrection. And he understands failure to be resurrected. So these people will fail to be resurrected. They will remain dead. Therefore, hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. It's like we, we, we've, we've just moved on. And this was a, a, a chapter in history. But we've closed that chapter and we've moved on and there's tremendous glory ahead and the focus is on everything ahead. And these people who blossomed for a little while, who made very powerful noises for a little while, they're gone and their memory has perished. You, God, you've done this. You have increased the nation, O Jehovah. You have increased the nation. God has done this. Despite the fact that everybody tried to destroy the nation, God has now stepped in and he's increased the nation. And Isaiah repeats this. You are glorified because he's going to be glorified in the nation. So the increase of the nation is to God's glory. You have increased the nation, O Jehovah. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. So we know from the text that covenant community has to be scattered for their their dishonesty and their unfaithfulness but they will also then be gathered from the four corners of the earth and god will be glorified in israel lord in trouble have they visited you they poured out a prayer was upon them this is this is amazing isaiah is calling back to torah 
this is this was the whole thing that Moses said. All of the prophets repeat and amplify and give more definition to Moses. Mo this is exactly what Moses said. Lord, in trouble, that they, they wouldn't visit you, Lord. They wouldn't have anything to do with you. They went their own way. But when you brought this tribulation, when you brought this abomination that makes desolate upon them, then they visited you. Then they then they turned to you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. So that's the purpose of the chastening. In fact, let's just go back to Moses, Deuteronomy 30. We'll just pick up three verses here. But this is our go-to text. This is sort of the summary of the plan of God. And it shall come to pass, so Moses is telling them, I'm not going into the promised land. You're going to go ahead in the promised land. Let me tell you what's going to befall you when you go into the promised land. It shall come to pass when all these things that I have just pronounced, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, all the blessings and the horrendous curses, when both of them, the blessings and the curses, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. So you're unable to stay in the promised land because of your unfaithfulness. You're going to be scattered, but then God is going to gather you when you pour out your heart to him, when he drives you into tribulation so that you realize the only salvation you have is in the true God. And you shall return unto the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to that all I command you, according to all that I command you this day. So somebody's going to be showing them Torah, the real sense of it, so that they can follow it. You and your children, with all your heart. So Isaiah says they're going to pour out their heart to him, all their heart, and with all your soul. That then, that is when, the Lord your God will end your slavery. That's when and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Back to Isaiah 26, verse 17. So remember, Judah's going through this suffering and finally through this tribulation, they're turning to God with their whole heart. But Isaiah looking at this suffering, he says this, like as a woman with child. So this is the woman in the ninth uh, month, the third trimester. She's about to give birth. Uh, this is going to be increasingly hard for people in the future to understand as we destroy pregnancy, as we destroy the differentiation between male and female, as we go, as we go crazy with our addiction to abortion. Uh, this understanding, though, women giving natural birth, it's, it's, Satan's doing all he can to remove this from the earth, but it's a very powerful analogy that, that Isaiah leans on. Like as a woman with child, a pregnant woman, that draws near the time of her delivery. So those of us who have children and women especially who, who will understand this. The, the way that a pregnant woman is about to deliver is in pain. That kind of pain, that kind of turmoil that a woman goes through as she's about to give birth and cries out in her pangs. It's just so such powerful pains that she experiences. And anybody who's been there will understand this. Isaiah is saying, this is a good analogy for Judah. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. This is the, Isaiah is saying, like, yeah, this is how we have suffered. 
we're doubled over in pain. We, you know, everybody's grabbing their abdomen and their George. We're just in such suffering, the same way a, a woman who's going through labor pains, very severe, intense labor pains. This is what we've what we've been like. We so this we we have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth gas. All of this pain that we had, everybody thought, hey, we're about to give birth to something beautiful. No, we just passed some wind. We, we, just, we just had a bit of gas. You know, sometimes gas can cause you to double over in pain. Turns out that all of this turmoil that we've gone through, it produced nothing except something odious. That's what the prophet is saying. We have not wrought any deliverance in you. We've done nothing. There's no fruit to show for our suffering. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So whatever we thought we were doing, we've done nothing. The dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. So despite all of this suffering, despite the fact that Judah can do nothing of herself and all of her suffering, she brought forth nothing. Despite all of this, Isaiah, who says, I'm going to wait for the Lord, who hides his face from Jacob, he concludes by saying this, your dead men shall live. So yeah, we can go through this terrible suffering, and we, many of us, may die. However, Isaiah, seeing the whole picture, shall live. Together with my dead body shall die. So he knew, I'm going to die. I'm not going to live over until Christ returns. I'm going to die. But I know I'm going to be brought back to life. Isaiah had a full understanding of the resurrection. And people think, oh, Isaiah, first Isaiah, it's all Old Testament curses. There's no good news. There's tons of good news in first Isaiah. It's equally good news in first and second Isaiah. It's one prophet seeing the whole picture of God. And so he's saying, yeah, there is a resurrection. So everything we see in first Corinthians 15, Paul would have been reading Isaiah to come into this full understanding of what Christ taught about the resurrection. Your dead men, God, they shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. The wicked will not rise. They'll stay dead. But your dead men shall be resurrected, and I'll be resurrected. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust. So this same man who, Isaiah 6, and understands these people are cursed. They're, they're blinded. They're deaf. They cannot have They're going to be slaughtered. This same Isaiah said, they will live again. Awake, and, 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 and his command to the dead is wake up and sing, you that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So here Isaiah is seeing the second resurrection. He's seeing, he's seeing that, okay, this is the second resurrection, that the dead are going to wake up. And then God's dead are going to sing. So we'll just finish here with Ezekiel 37, who also saw the second resurrection and the resurrection of Israel at that time. So after the millennium, thousand years, there'll be a resurrection. And Israel, the resurrection of Israel, will be separate and apart from the resurrection of the Gentiles. They too will be resurrected. But again, there's going to be a priest class in the earth. Verse 4 of Ezekiel 37, again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones 
and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of Jehovah. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, not unto all bones, but unto these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am Yehovah. So those Jews and those Israelites that survive into the millennium, they will know, and they will have turned to Yehovah. But what about all those that died? They will be resurrected a thousand years later, and they will wake up and realize, wow, everything that Yehovah said came to pass, and he is the Lord. And they will look upon Christ, and they will acknowledge him. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So they actually came back to human resemblance and came back into form, but they weren't breathing yet. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain these slain. This is what Isaiah saw. They are cursed, and they will be slaughtered by their enemies. But a thousand years later, they will be brought back to life. Breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet. That's what resurrection means. They stand up again. The dead stand up again and stood upon stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army it was like i can't count the number then he said, these bones are the whole house of israel so this resurrection is exclusive to israel gentiles will be resurrected a thousand years later but we can't just lump everybody together god has a plan and the whole house of Israel is separate and apart from the Gentiles. This, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts because they didn't understand the text. So Ezekiel goes on to show, no, they're going to do and they, they will be the priest class of the earth. And again, we first fruits of all of this. We're going to help oversee this operation. We're going to educate them. We're going to support them. And, and the whole earth is going to understand what God has done in Israel. We'll just wrap up here in Isaiah 26. Come, my people, enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about thee. This almost has a ring of Exodus, right? Where Egypt is doing what Egypt is doing. Uh, the Pharaoh is doing this, and, and there's a, there is a way of escape. So make sure you take the Passover, put the blood on the doorpost, be compliant with Torah and the instructions. Come, my people, enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about thee. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. It's passed over. 
So again, those who have even a modicum of common sense of what the text is saying, we're not going to be out parading, rioting, shouting, you know, social justice for all. No, 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 no. We're not getting caught up in that because we understand the indignation that is coming upon the earth. You know, what you're calling oppressor class and oppressed, God doesn't care about that unless it's in Torah, unless it aligns with Torah. Whether, whether somebody's oppressed or oppressor, and then most, most, a lot of that is just made up, but let's say there's a true oppressor and oppressed class. If they're wicked, if they're against God, if they're, if they're following the ways of the devil, both will be punished. We saw that last week in the text. So we have to understand there's, God is furious. Christ is furious. He's about to unleash incredible wrath upon this earth, and rightfully so. When we look into what's happening on this earth, it's, it's sickening, it's, it's unspeakable, and it's getting worse. And Christ is watching, and he's about to unleash his wrath. And the idea that Christians would be getting behind worldly movements, please, don't do this. Don't do this. It's not going to end well. So God's people separate ourselves. Enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about you. Don't get caught up. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place. Why is God going to leave heaven? Maybe, maybe it's because he loves the likes of George Floyd. And he's coming to establish the likes of George Floyd all over the earth. And just give the George Floyds of the earth a big hug. Maybe that's why. No. In fact, because he loves George Floyd and the likes of George Floyd, he's coming out of his place to punish the George Floyds of the earth. It's ludicrous that Christians would fall for this and want to uphold this son of Belial, I'll speak frankly, as a hero. The Bible would call such a man a son of Belial. And so I'm not, I'm just telling you what the text says. And we would, our message for George Floyd would be repent, not we support you. And all the wicked that we see today and what they're doing and the traction they're getting and the traction they're getting in destroying the family and, and, and inflicting children with, with incredible suffering, we're not for this. And our message to all of these wicked people, no matter how powerful or powerless, no matter how rich or poor, our message to all of them is repent. Repent and turn to God. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place. Why? To punish the inhabitants of the earth. Why? For their iniquity, for their lawlessness. They can call it whatever they want. Social justice, reformation, repatriate, whatever they want to call it. It's iniquity. And you can, put, you can put whatever label you want on it. God is coming out of heaven to earth to destroy man. It's, it's, it's going to be just calamity, global calamity. So we're just hiding ourselves. We understand what's coming until this wrath be overpassed. He's coming to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood. Right now, for the most part, the blood of the earth is hidden. Where is it hidden? 
is hidden in our veins. It's hidden inside our bodies. But all of this blood that is pulsing through humans around the earth, the earth is about to shed it all. And who's going to do this? Christ himself. He's coming to slaughter mankind. That's the Christ we worship. You don't hear that very often, but that's what's in the text. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. No more funerals, bodies everywhere. That's what's coming before Christ establishes his kingdom. So again, those of us who understand this, whoa, we want nothing to do with these social movements, these, these redefinitions of, of righteousness, this redefinition of, of holiness, this redefinition of, of what's a hero. We don't want anything to do with it. No, thank you. We'll just stick to Torah. We'll just stick to the prophets. We'll just stick to the teachings of Christ and the apostles. So brethren, I'll stop there. I wanted to cover um, Isaiah 27. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to cover one verse of Isaiah 27 because I did say Isaiah 26 and 27. So at least I can say I did cover uh, Isaiah 27. He says, in that day, the Lord Jehovah with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Le Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the, in the sea. So we'll unpack that next week, but we did cover Isaiah 26 and part of 27 uh, this evening. Next week, we'll continue, God willing, in Isaiah 27. I want to say that next week is the last uh, study in July, so we will have an opportunity for Q&A. So please, brethren, just prepare your questions, your thoughts, your comments, and let's have a bit of a time for discussion next week. And then I'm going to, uh, for the month of August, I'm going to take a, a break from the study, just going through a bit of transition, so I just need a bit of time. So will, God willing, next week, resume the study again in September. Isaiah is just such a powerful, powerful and uh, amazing book. So I'm hoping that uh, you are enjoying it as much as I am. And uh, what we will do again, as I said, is uh, next week, God willing, if we can have whatever questions you have about Isaiah, what we've covered so far. We, it's amazing. We're almost finished. It's just 39 chapters we have. Once we finish, we'll go back to Psalms. And then between Psalms, we'll cover a few more of the, uh, the prophets as well. Uh, so let me um, pause there and uh, say uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. This is incredible truth. This is text that was written thousands of years ago that has, has been preserved. No matter what the devil does, he cannot stamp out the truth of God. And ultimately, the truth of God is going to cover the whole earth as waters cover the sea. What a privilege it is for us to be buried for us to be the mouthpieces of God, to give voice to the ancient prophets. This is an exciting time to be alive. And I know as we study the news and we see the momentum of wicked men and the momentum of wicked agendas, it can be a bit overwhelming. But as we study the, the, the prophets, we see ultimately all of this momentum is by God's design. And it's going to, it's going to conclude with the wicked being brought down and God's people being established in the earth. It's just, it's amazing. We're a part of all of this, brethren. Be strong, be faithful, be hopeful, 
and have joy. Have joy that cannot be taken away from you. Have joy in the Lord. God bless you, brethren.